Monarch, Legacy of Monsters, an Apple original series. The world is on fire. I decided to do something about it. On November 17th. This place, it's not ours. Believe me. The most massive event of the year arrives. If you come with me, you'll know everything, I promise. Oh my God, go, go, go! Monarch, Legacy of Monsters. Streaming November 17th, only on Apple TV+. Level up your listening with Bose QuietComfort Ultra Earbuds and Headphones with immersive sound and world-class noise cancellation for a not-so-silent night. Visit Bose.com slash Spotify to shop sound that's more than a present. I just want to jump in here with a quick note about some changes that are happening. This podcast is now going ad-supported. What that means is I will be releasing select episodes from the hundreds of episodes I have archived now on Patreon and releasing them here. A lot of these were recorded a couple of years ago, during 2020 especially. However, I have gone through them and deemed that the parenting information was still really relevant. So just be aware that some of these releases may be out of order chronologically. Also, if you would like to listen to the podcast ad-free, you can still join Patreon. I'll still be releasing podcasts there with a few bonuses. One is that it will be ad-free. One will be that you get the podcast slightly earlier than everybody else. And I'll also be doing a bonus episode every month with a Q&A that's patron specific. So if that's something you'd like to do, you can join for a dollar a month and we'll see you there. Thanks, guys. Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hello, hello. So today we will do a Q&A. As I find my Q&A notes. <laughs> I just want to take a minute to thank you guys. Thank you guys always for your questions, for your patronage. I continue to love this platform and I continue to super duper appreciate you guys. So today's Q&A Let's talk about, first of all, I've been asked this in several forms, is what are ways to reinforce positive behavior? And this gets really murky. You know, I started to really go down this rabbit hole when my business really focused on potty training and my work was really potty training. And I was like, what is this like reward a child for like just expected behavior, you know? And then I started to really see like, God, rewards are everywhere. And we talked about this in the food episode, right? Like people giving food rewards at school. And I'm definitely old school. Like I'm not going to pay my kid to help clean the house. I'm not going to pay my kid to do well in school. I'm not going to pay my kid to read. So there's those kinds of things, right? You know, for me, it always irked me. And I know the whole world potty trains with M&Ms. I know that. But it just is like, really, do we have to start out like rewarding a two-year-old for behavior we expect from them? But there is a way to, you do want to reinforce positive behavior. And you should probably know for the next six months, like all my work is going to eventually lead back to my puppy because I love him. But also the puppy training is astounding to me because it's so interesting. And I mentioned this on another podcast, but it's that this idea that kids are like never really in limbo. To be in limbo is really bad. Like we, all of us and our kids, when we're expecting certain behavior, They're either good or 
quote unquote bad, I don't like that word, but undesirable, right? Like even if they're sitting and not really, you know, they look kind of neutral, I guess, right? But that that's good behavior, right? And then there's the undesirable behavior. <laughs> so one of the things that's tricky right now, and I learned that from the dog trainer, he was like, there's like good or there's bad feedback. Like there's from you to the dog, the dog needs to know is what I'm doing good or is what I'm doing what you don't want. And he said, he sees far too many people, you know, like for example, if you're walking your dog and your dog's reactive to another dog coming on the path and the dog like kind of jumps up, he sees people like, you know, grabbing them by the leash and, and pulling them. And he said, that's limbo. They're either behaving well or they're not. And he said he sees too many people like their their dog just doesn't know what to do. You know what I mean? And I was like, God, that's so true, I think, with parenting. And I have said this consistently, like if we don't have boundaries, I see this sort of free fall in kids. I swear to God, it looks like, do you remember the Jungle Book and the original one? I, I forget the character, but I think it was the snake. He had these like swirly hypnotizing eyes. And that's what it makes. It reminds me of when I see kids without boundaries, it's like they're free falling. They have nothing, nothing to hold them in, nothing to kick against and therefore know that they're safe. Right. And so the same thing goes with behavior. Like we constantly, we do want to, we want to accentuate the positive and do want to reinforce the positive because otherwise, you know, the the child has no idea. And so we really want to give like these kind of glowing reports when things are going well. And that way it makes the frown face consequence other side of the undesirable behaviors even more poignant. But how positive reinforcement came about, it came about just the same. There, there was a huge shift in parenting, probably in like the 70s. And that's when we came out with there were all kinds of things that pushed that pendulum. Attachment parenting, um, Dr. Spock's work really started to take off. We we really started to understand that kids were humans. They have feelings. They will be maladjusted if we abuse them. I know that sounds bizarre, but like prior to this time, that was not known. We started to take their feelings seriously and we started to shift. And of course, I think the pendulum has swung way too far. But in that time, there was this massive shift in reinforcement, okay? And what had happened was prior to that, parents only focused on the negative. You only heard it if you did something wrong. I remember it's the classic, uh, you know, I brought home a report card. Did my parents, you know, congratulate me on the seven A's? No, it was the B that I got reamed for, right? And, and so it was always the negative. You were always harped on for what you didn't do. And I understand it came out of this sort of authoritarian, militaristic parenting that that was like, you know, improve your weakness. And it was very, very strict. And then we started to realize like, hey, maybe if we accent the positive, that will be more beneficial. And I I definitely was in this like crossover generation. So I remember my parents doing that. I also remember my very first major was elementary education. And I, I went through a couple of majors <laughs> and I student taught. Um, I went to a, a, a very elite, academically elite high school. And our senior year, we got to actually choose our major for college and we got to do an internship if we had certain, you know, met certain parameters. So I got to student teach and it was very, very interesting. And I, for the first time I ran into a teacher who she started that, um, I mean, she didn't start it, but she was 
the only person in this school who did it where like, you know, if there's 10 questions and the child gets one wrong, she would put you got nine right. And some would argue that this began the softening of the generation. But I remember being blown away like, yeah, let's tell them what they did good instead of bad. And so that leads us to positive reinforcement. Somehow along the way, I think parents got confused and this became bribery and or like physical, tangible rewards. And you guys, I have to tell you as a potty trainer, you would not believe the things I see. Literally parents promising a trip to Disneyland for a single poop in the potty. Parents who get a basket full of toys, like actual big toys, not even like junky dollar store toys, like actual toys for a poop in the potty. And I'm like, whoa, that's not, and you know, parents will tell me like, well, I want to give them positive reinforcement. I was like, that's not positive reinforcement. That's like another level, right? So we want to be careful because we don't want to raise entitled kids. And if we start giving toys for a poop in the potty, and I'm not judging you because I know where that comes from. I know when your kid's struggling, like you'll do anything. So, so please don't take this as like, oh my God, how could you? It's just as a society, I'm like, okay, we got to, we got to slow our roll here with the rewards. So positive reinforcement is really just noticing the good, noticing when your child does good. So I would say the biggest way to do positive reinforcement, the most successful way I've seen it done is with a low pitch. So one of the things we do, particularly women, (laughs) oh my God, good job. You guys, I can hear myself with my dog and I want to throat punch myself because I sound so annoying. Like I'm really working on the good job, buddy. So you definitely want to lower your pitch. A fist bump, particularly coming from dad or the male in the household, if you have one, um, a fist bump with that low male pitch. Oh my God, that usually sends kids through the roof glowing with pride. So keep it short, keep it simple. Remember, what is positive reinforcement? It's acknowledgement of, I see you. I see the thing you did. I see the effort you put in. So we don't want to just say like, good job, you jumped over the rock. You want to say, hey, that was a really big jump that I saw you working on. Nice. Which one's more effective? Which one would you rather have? You know, oh my God, you went to work for eight hours and you didn't cry. Or like, hey man, that looks like a really hard day. I see you. You did well, right? Like cut down the language and look for where the effort is. And that this is no secret. This isn't mine. This has been, you know, psychologists work for like the last, I don't know, 10 years, but we now know that we don't praise the outcome. We praise the effort, right? So that you you do, you want to acknowledge and it's less praise. That's, that's a sticky point, I think for me, right? Just as I was saying that it's not praising, it's acknowledging. I see you. I see the work you put into it. I see you succeed. I see you're proud of yourself and then move the fuck on. Don't stick in this like sticky saccharine voice and don't highlight the outcome. So that's why like when parents are struggling with potty training, I'm like, stop with the fucking dance party and the high fives and the the whooping. Like your kid just put a pee in the potty. Like, awesome, man. Then move on, normalize it, right? So we want to normalize good behavior and we want to make sure that the kid just, the biggest thing, and I've talked about this so much, particularly in, in this podcast, what do we want as humans? We want to be seen. We want to be seen for the effort we put into life. We want to be seen for the work, the the hardness, the what we've gone through, our emotions. That's it. So you want to acknowledge. And and like I'm literally talking this through now. Like that makes so much sense to me where I'm going, yeah, that's what it's about. It's about acknowledging their effort. 
try not to give rewards for expected behavior. I think it just sets up, it just sets up a, a wrong dynamic where your child starts expecting. Uh, okay, I made my bed. Where's my prize? It just leads to entitlement. And it's it's really about the acknowledgement. And that case, be careful. And I mean, your kids are pretty new, so you don't have these like entrenched habits. But I'm kind of going through this with Pascal. And be careful that you don't get stuck in the negative reinforcement, particularly with like a bad habit your child has. And then you go to catastrophic thinking. So it's like you never pick up your blocks. You always dawdle in the morning. I just don't think it's always or never. And so don't peg your kid either. This, of course, gets harder to do like you know, Pascal's almost 15. He has indeed showed me some patterns throughout the years. And so I I found myself in the last week, like kind of slipping into that. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. That, that never helps the situation when somebody hears that they always or never do something right or wrong. All right. So that's that on positive reinforcement. The next question I had was relating to my connection podcast, which is in season one. And I talk a lot about the connection and we all know, you know, connection before correction and that kind of thing. This was exacerbated by the pandemic, of course, and being with our kids all the time. I think for a lot of people now, their kids are back in some social situations or some, well, I'm recording this March, March 20th. So I don't know where you are (laughs) in the world, but it does seem to me that a lot of kids are back in, in daycare or preschool. So We're not going quite as crazy as we did in the beginning, but I've had a couple of questions about like, how long, how long should I connect? I have a couple of questions about like, I don't even know how to connect with my kid or they seem like they will never let me go. So there was a lot of confusion about that. So connection, when we talk about connection, we want one-on-one, I call it a bullion cube of, of time with your kids. So it's short spurts and it's, it's frequent depending on the size. So remember, like as your child grows, their emotional gas tank gets bigger so they can be held longer. Right. And you can also have longer connection times because let's face it, they're more interesting and, and it becomes less of a, a chore. And I know that sounds terrible, but I've played enough fucking Candyland to know that sometimes connecting with your kid is a chore. <laughs> um, so what you want to do is you want to, connect in these bullion cubes. So when you're with your kid all day long, it can feel like you're connected with them, but you can't, you cannot. And by the way, the expectation is never to be connected with your kid, like super duper connected all day long. What we want to do is build these almost invisible threads with our kids, right? And when they're little, they can only be a little bit away from us, you know, physically. And then we build these in invisible threads of love and bonding and connection so that when they do go off to school or, you know, stay at a friend's house, they have that, that thread of bonding and connection and love. So we, you know, we establish that early on so that they can go out in the world, but it shouldn't be all day. You guys, you shouldn't be at the mercy of your children all day long playing with them. The biggest issue is you will burn out. And if you burn out, you're going to wreck that connection with psycho mom. It's just going to happen. And if you haven't listened to psycho mom, please go back and and listen to that. That's my um, actual most popular episode, (laughs) which I think is telling, right? So what does it actually look like? You can literally set a timer and tell the child, we're going to play X, Y, and Z. It should be something that the child loves or the child should get to choose. 
and you set the timer and then say, okay, now I have to go back to my work. If the child is very, very grabby or seems very, very greedy about having the time with very few exceptions, it means that they're feeling disconnected. And so they're greedy. It's like any, like, you know, if you uh, restrict the child's going to want more. So that's just a sign that you probably need to connect like this a little bit more, and then they will ease up on that greed of your time. So that's when I suggest shorter timeframes, but more frequent. And again, the the smaller your child is like a two-year-old might need 10 minutes every hour, you know, but your six-year-old can go a few hours on their own with that connection thread that you've already had. It is really important though, that you have this sort of bouillon cube, because again, you can just go through your life and everything we do is for our kids. So naturally we think we're connected, but it's not the same thing. And I just want to caution I just, parents are going overboard. I don't know why the, us, us parents, we just have a phenomenal amount of guilt that somehow we're fucking it up. And so we just go overboard with all concepts. It's uh, and connection. I'm finding that's the case. Like I just, I need to connect with them all day long or they, they just want to connect with me all day long. And you know, it's not like you can, you deserve time to yourself and you deserve time. They deserve time to start figuring it out. Of course, again, when they're little, they just, they can't, you know, two and three-year-olds kind of need to be in the same room with you. You know what I mean? So I hope that clears that up. And I hope that you're not stringing yourself out, trying to like be super connected all day long. All right. Coping with a sore loser. How do you cope with a kid who throws a tantrum when they lose a game? Oh my God. This is like, This is just as age old as like, how do you get siblings to stop fighting? It's just a phase. Like the kids all, like literally every kid I know has gone through this. So when you start playing games with your kid, like three, four, three and four, maybe, of course, you're going to let the kid win, right? Because you have to, if you're playing a game, you're going to, you're going to kick their ass as an adult, right? So you, you let them win. I definitely think it's better to start making them lose early on. So they get acclimated. And I would say like, and I'm just throwing arbitrary numbers out there, but I would say I let Pascal lose. I made Pascal lose like one in every six games. And then there was constantly, it was constantly, there would be fits, there would be fits. And and you would just go through the whole thing of like, I'm not going to play this game. So I think before every game, it's really wise to say, listen, people win and people lose and it's okay. One of the things I know about me is that I am, I know this is probably shocking to everybody, but I'm hugely competitive, but I actually don't care. Like I don't care who wins or loses the game. I really don't like games to me are just to have fun and play, but oh my God, I am cutthroat during the game. Like, and I had to start watching that because I was getting very like, ha ha, Oh, look at that. Like, I know we played Risk. Do you remember Risk? Risk is like that three-day game. You got to keep set up like Monopoly and they could take over countries. It's a war game. (laughs) So it's clear usually at some point in the game, somebody starts taking over the countries and they're going to win. And so he would just be like, stop. Everything I said that was like any sort of trash talk or any sort of like, oh, yes, he took like just crushingly to heart. So I ended up just stopping a lot of the trash talk, even though I think that's part of the fun of games. <laughs> and so, but it was just for a period. And it seemed like, you know, of course, when they're little, it's just like, I want to win, I want to win. But 
you go through this phase when they're like five, six, seven, eight, where it really does matter to them. So I think it's just practice. And I think it's just reminding them at the start of the game, like, hey, somebody's going to win or lose and it's not going to, you know, it will always be somebody different. And then, you know, as it gets better, like now we're, my family's a, a card playing, we like to play cards. So now Pascal's learning the card games and, uh, and, and we love it because it is a trash talk kind of, I love, I just love playing games. I think trash talk is part of the learning that happens in a game is like how to, how to rib somebody without like hurting their feelings and that kind of thing. So, but I do think it's important. Don't get trapped just because your kid throws a tantrum. Do not let them win all the time because I've seen that get really out of control. And I even like in my personal life, I've seen Pascal's friends like throw a game board or get like totally disgusted that they didn't win. So don't create that either. But generally speaking, it's a phase. You have to ride through it. You are not alone. Every kid on the planet does this. So it's practice, practice, practice. Like, like all things, right? <laughs> Monarch Legacy of Monsters, an Apple original series. The world is on fire. I decided to do something about it. On November 17th. This place, it's not ours. Believe me. The most massive event of the year arrives. If you come with me, you'll know everything, I promise. Oh my God, go, go, go! Monarch Legacy of Monsters, streaming November 17th, only on Apple TV+. Plus. All right, screen time. We all know screen time went up during the pandemic. And again, it just does seem like we're kind of going back to real life. Um, Not real life, but, you know, something like that. Like we're getting out of the house more. The kids are in daycare or preschool. There's more social opportunities. And again, I'm not saying go have more social opportunities. If you're in a place where it's quarantine, please listen to that. I just I know from my work, I'm just seeing a lot of kids in in these situations. Getting off of screen time, setting different screen time boundaries. So yeah, like we know, screen time got out of hand uh, during the pandemic. It had to, and please don't have any guilt. If your kid was on a screen for eight hours a day because you had to work, so be it. That's what happened. I'm sure you tried to pick somewhat educational content. I'm sure that you did what you could. So definitely do not have any guilt. But now like, you're like, hey, we got to reel this in. So remember when getting off of screen time, remember when your kid is little, they are in the screen. So it's really hard to just pull them away. So you cannot give them a warning like, okay, off your iPad. Okay. After this episode of Peppa Pig, we're going to shut it down. It doesn't work like that. That's like a little too abrupt. There are some kids who understand episodes and can be like, okay, I watched one episode of Peppa Pig. Like they know when the, the episode ends and they can get off somewhat peacefully, but most kids can't. So you want to definitely do that bridge to, you want to do that bridge of attention. And this takes a little bit of work, but it no more than them throwing a tantrum and you having to deal with that for the next 15 minutes. Right. So that's what I always say is like, sometimes these strategies that I, that I give parents, they're like, well, I don't have time to do that. And I was like, really? Because you came to me because you don't have time for the half hour tantrum that comes afterwards. So put in five minutes of work to avoid the half hour meltdown. So what what that looks like is you want to make a literal bridge, right? And this can work for toys too. You do a bridge, which is you sit down next to the child and you you start to pull them out of that world. So think of that. Their brain is like literally in the screen and you have to bring it back to analog time, okay? So it's like, hey, um, oh, look at that. What's Peppa Pig doing? Or, you know, Paw Patrol or whatever your poison is. Um, what are they doing? Oh, cool. Oh, hey, look, can you see? 
can you show me anything red? Like you want to just kind of pull them, ask them questions about what's happening. So that way you're there and, they, and you can probably get a sense, you know, it's not like the plot line of Peppa Pig is uh, beyond you. You can get a sense of when the lesson, the episode, the point is wrapping up and you can say, oh, look, well, we're going to get off of Peppa Pig in just a couple of minutes. Okay. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, good. Then now it's over. And that will help your child. So you want to, again, bring them back. Same thing with uh, play. We have to give children the opportunity to finish up the play, to come back to the world. You know, three and four years old, your child's going to start going into deep play. And it's really miraculous to watch. Like they lose all sense of time. They become the toy. It's so cool. But you can't be like, okay, put that toy away and wash your hands. It's time for dinner. Oh, that's not how it works. You know what I mean? You have to bridge them back to reality. You have to bridge them back to real time, but also wrapping it up so that they, it's it's better than a two minute warning. Giving a kid a two minute warning means nothing to a kid who doesn't have a watch. You know what I mean? Whereas when you start to end the activity and wrap it up and take the last take those five minutes to to close it out, it's really you save yourself a lot of time in the tantrums. All right. And lastly, I want to talk about a couple of concepts. Oh, going back to that screen time and that bridge, for example, this isn't a one and done. So that's a concept I want to talk about. I give you guys strategies, even in my parenting clients and the families I work with, I'll give a strategy and somebody say, you know, I tried that last night and it didn't work. Almost all these strategies are built over time. Again, we go back to, I just think the dog training is so interesting because like you're not mucked up thinking that the dog can think and say more than the dog can, right? (laughs) And so I think what happens, you know, if if I said to my dog, lay down, he wouldn't know what the fuck I was talking about. I had to train him. And for some reason, my dog was oddly resistant to that command. So it took... It took like two weeks of consistently doing the same thing. And again, the dog trainer was so funny, like just reminding me consistency, consistency. If you don't do these things, if you don't practice, the dog's not going to get it. And also it's never, you, you don't teach something one and done. So with that screen time bridge, that is a practice. I don't expect you to do that tonight. And your kid is like, great, let's shut off the iPad and go have dinner. No, 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 no. It's just a practice and you will get better at it and your child will get better at it. And then it becomes law. And I think it's just funny because Already, the dog knows the total routine, knows exactly what's going to happen every time. And I, I think that's just wild. And so our kids are the same way, right? Like if we do the same thing again and again and again, like I now, it's so funny, Mavericks, you know, sits when he's a quote, quote unquote, good boy, right? <laughs> good boy with the lower pitch. And it's really cool because he will now sit. And if I don't give him the treat, he's like, wait, I did the thing. I did the thing you told me to do. (laughs) And so remember that all of these strategies are never one and done. Whatever it is, it's a practice. And remember that you, I, I have always said this, if you cave, if you wreck the practice, I don't know why, but it's not it's not um, exponential. Like you can work really hard at something for two months and then you break down and cave. Let's say it's, you know, not throwing a tantrum for candy in the supermarket aisle and then you cave, you wreck everything. It's not fair, but that's how it goes. You can work on sleep 
and, and get a sleep routine, good sleep hygiene, sleep training. Everything's great. You let your kid into your bed once it's gone. And again, I hate that. I hate it. It's not fair, but it's true. And the dog trainer told me you killed the command. You killed the command if you let it go one or two times. So I just keep thinking that. And of course, you know, we're not commanding our kids, but it's like, don't kill the command. So build the practice, but stay very consistent with it. Yeah. The next thing I want to bring up, and I'll try to be quick about this, is shame, punishment, and consequences. So I was working with a lovely family and the mama had gotten just kind of mucked up. She had gotten really mucked up about her child was having very strong reactions and being, you know, having some bad behavior with other kids, you know, pushing and being aggressive towards other kids. And she was very locked into this, you know, I know it's confusing with all the information on the internet and I know it's confusing. Most of my audience has also been, you know, through Janet, uh, Janet Lansbury, Dr. Laura Markham have really tried these gentle parenting techniques. And I don't want to slam anybody, but I don't know what planet they live on because I get the people I don't know if we're just different. <laughs> I get the real life parents who are like, that shit doesn't work. It doesn't work for my kid. And listen to me, I would love a world in which I say, please don't hit other children and the kids just listen. I guess they exist. They don't exist in my work. <laughs> I don't know, maybe that's by God's design or whatever, but don't feel bad if that's your if that's your kid, right? And so I often get that, I say I'm the safety net for those people because they- parents feel bad. They feel bad that like they don't know what to do. Their kid is getting more and more aggressive or more and more, you know, um, the, the behavior's escalating. They're getting activated more often and they're still trying to do this like gentle parenting. And, and this kid had done, he had done some pretty wrong things. And she was really dancing the line of like, well, I don't want him to feel shame. I don't want to punish him. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. We do want him to feel shame. Listen, we don't have to shame him, but we want him to feel the shame because that's what, that's how we change. And I know Brene Brown has some, you know, shame versus guilt. So maybe it's, maybe it's guilt is a better word because we do want him to feel guilty. We want him to change his behavior. We don't want him to feel core shame, but we don't want to dance around this like, okay, well, you did something wrong. We do want, you know, especially as behavior escalates and I'm seeing a lot of escalating behavior, you know, uh, biting, pushing, hitting. And I, do think it's a product of like pandemic stress for everybody and all of that because there's definitely been an uptick. So I think it's anxiety. But but if your kid bites another kid, that child needs to feel that that was not good. They can't feel like it's all okay. Do you know what I'm saying? And so it's okay. Consequences came out in the 70s. Like I opened this podcast with this time zone where like this parenting pendulum started to shift, right? Consequences is a fancy word for punishment, you guys. So don't get confused. And and the beauty of it is, I mean, there is a, a line of difference. So for me, a consequence is a natural consequence. So you, if you jump on the bed and you fall and crack your head, that's a natural consequence. I told you not to jump on the bed. You were going to crack your head. Now you cracked your head. That's the consequence. A lot of times we give an external consequence because the situation is too severe to let a natural consequence play out. I don't, if you're not going to hold my hand in the parking lot, you're going back in the car because the natural con that's a consequence because the natural consequence of you not holding my hand is far too dangerous for us to contemplate. Right. So that's when we 
we do an external consequence. A punishment usually for me is arbitrary. It comes out of the blue. There's no warning. You know, for me, when you're doing consequences, punishment, shame, guilt, you want to set it up beforehand so the child has the opportunity to make a good decision. Hey, if you bite your brother again, this is what's going to happen. X, Y, and Z. You will go to your room. You won't, whatever, whatever you decide the consequences, right? So that is, again, we put that consequence. Punishment would be, you know, he bit the kid and then without any warning, you punished him. In that situation, I actually think punishment is okay. That's a cause and effect, right? You did this, now you have to go here. Again, I'd love to set it up as a, if you do this again, this is what's going to happen, right? Which I think is fair. But also there are going to be times when we have to punish the child, where we have to say, no, I didn't give you a warning, but you know, you know, that's a bad thing. There's not a kid on the planet who doesn't know that hitting, biting, and those kinds of things is bad behavior. Oftentimes it's impulse control. That's the issue. And that takes over and the child can't help themselves. But still, we would want to, we would want to do something sharp and Severe, severe in the sense of, you know, the, the punishment fits the crime kind of idea. But I just wanted to put that out into the to the parenting universe that it is OK for your child to feel bad about the bad thing they did. OK, because and again, I don't we don't want to say like you are bad, you're a terrible person. We don't want to take them them take that on as a core value, but we definitely don't want them to be like, oh, it's OK. We don't want to cater to the, the child who just did something something wrong, right? Especially when it's egregious to another person. So to me, those are sort of quote unquote more severe when the kid starts doing it to other kids, right? There's definitely, you know, our kids are just, they can be little punks with us personally or in the house, but when it, when it starts to escalate to other kids, that's when I think we, we owe it to our child and our society that we like put a, put a lid on that. So I hope that clarifies. And if you guys have any other questions for that, it's a sticky topic. So, you know, it's punishment, consequences, shame, guilt. And when we start to pull those apart, I just, the whole parent, gentle parenting movement, I literally get clients whose kids have escalated to dangerous levels of aggression. And they're still trying to like, just ask them really nicely not to do it. If it's not working, like, Hey, if your kid responds to, please don't do that rock on. Like, why would you need a timeout? I would love it if we could do that. And, and maybe some kids respond to that, but most kids don't. And so if they're not responding and it's not effective, change it. And that is always my bottom line. Are you being effective? And if you're not, then shift it and don't give it a long time. Like you don't need a year to figure out if you're being effective one or two times. If you're not being effective, then you need to change the thing. It's like when people come to me about you know, rewards with potty training. And they say, well, it works about 50% of the time. And I'm like, that's like 50% pregnant, man. Like it's not working. If it works 50% of the time in no arena is 50% of the time, a good return on investment. So shift it. And that's just the basis of all my parenting work is, are you being effective? That's, that's the bottom line. And if you're not change it. All right, you guys rock on. All right, I'm going to sign off for today. You can always go to jamieglowacki.com for the super cool latest updates, including the launch of my new book, yummy new book presale treats, when we release new episodes, and how to work with me directly. And of course, if you need any potty training help, there's a handy link there that will take you to all my potty training resources, including all my courses. That's the Oh Crap Potty Training online course, 
my pooping solutions course, and my night training supplement. And if you need additional help, how to book with a certified OCRAP consultant. That's all at jamieglowacki.com. Have a beautiful day and rock on.